let's bring it on back if we can. Bring it on back. I'm still kind of getting over that worship. How amazing was that? Shout to the Lord. Throwback to 1992. Yeah. Oh, I know that song. I remember it. Does anyone know when it was actually released? 2000. Get out of here. Was it 2000? Was it really? Oh, yeah, that was 19 years ago. Wow, isn't time flying? We've been saying that each and every week. It's Christmas in like, how many, how many days till Christmas? 16, there's the real Christmas people. Well, um, we're wrapping up our Christmas series today. Come on, I asked Matt to stay up just for that moment. <laughs> Give him a hand. If there ever was a dad joke, that was one. Um, but for those that don't find it funny, we're concluding our Christmas collection of talks on Where Are You, God, this Sunday. But don't be confused. We've still got two Sundays until Christmas. Next Sunday, Pastor Bron is bringing an extra special message. So get excited and get inviting for that. And then the week after, December 22nd, is our Wonder Christmas production. And it's your opportunity to share the wonder of Christmas with your friends, families, and neighbors, and our community, right? And so those invitations that are all across the seats, they're not your reminder card to come because you're coming anyway. They're your opportunity to share the wonder and the love of Christmas with someone else in your life. Yeah? Awesome. Well, if you've been here over the last two weeks or you haven't, we've been journeying through this scripture, centering around this verse in Matthew 1 verse 23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel. And we've been saying how this is the true meaning of Christmas. This is the promise that comes with Christmas, the reason that we celebrate and can be reminded of at Christmas time that God is with us. And we've looked at how God is with us in the valley moments of our life. And we've looked at how God is with us in the storms of life. And today, we're going to journey through and look at the question of where are you, God, in the wilderness? Where are you, God, in the wilderness moments of life? But before we do, let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you, Lord, that each and every person here this morning is here for a reason. That, Lord, you are calling all of us towards you. And so, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? each and every one of us individually, what we need to hear from you. In your mighty name, Lord. Amen. Who here is competitive? This is a common theme in my preaching um, because it seems like as a family, we've unlocked some secret level of competitiveness. We're just super, super competitive family. And I like to think that I'm really competitive because I don't want to be bad at anything. Because why can't I be good at everything, right? Humble, I know. My wife is here, and so she will let you know that there are some things that I'm bad at. Yep, it's true. Calendars and dates, am I right? Replying to text messages. Sorry, anyone that's still waiting. Um, singing, although last week I got a few invitations after throwing a couple lines out there. Word games, I hate them because I always lose. Who wants to play a game that you lose at? 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I am gifted. And I mean extraordinarily talented. At navigation and directions. It's true. But you can't be good at everything at once, can you? Because the other thing that Lee will debate with you is that I believe that I'm an excellent driver as well. It's definitely debatable, but I'm going to claim it for the purpose of this illustration. <laughs> but you can't be good at everything at once, and so I find myself having to delegate. As I take the steering wheel, because Lee won't even drive on the freeway, but that's another story. As I take the steering wheel, I find myself having to delegate the navigation to Lee. And Lee is incredible at so many things. She's not quite as competitive as me, um, and I'm also not quite sure she knows what a map looks like at all. And so it's caused problems. And I know last week I was talking about kind of different types of problems, how there's little problems and severe hardship. This one falls in the severe hardship category. Because I have never seen someone find a way to blame one of the most downloaded, most used, most reliable and, I guess, applicable to everyday use app as Google Maps. She sits there and all I, I don't need to give you the full story, but all I hear is, I don't know which way this blue arrow is facing. Is it, is it the car going this way and the arrow's going that way or this way? The line keeps moving. I say, well, just which way do I turn? Left, left. I'm pretty sure it's left. No, wait, right. It's right. We've got to turn right. And then, oh, no, that was it there. We, we just missed it. So this Christmas, if you could purchase me anything and single-handedly save my marriage, it would be a phone holder so that this control freak can manage both the driving and the navigation at the same time. Amen? Amen. I wonder if there's anything in your life, any times in your life, maybe it's right now where you've wondered where the blue dot is, which way the arrow's facing. If you'd hoped that you could just have a blue line that would show you where to go next. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I know where I'm going, but I've got zero idea how to get there. And sometimes I feel like I know where I'm at now, but I've got no idea where to go next. This kind of time is the wilderness time where you've been searching and you're going around and around and around. Where you're going it over and over again. Your life feels distant, bare. You might describe yourself as lost, being left wanting, tired or weary. Maybe you've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. Maybe it's a job, and you've been searching for that right job, or maybe you've just finished high school and you're wondering what I'm supposed to do. Just finished uni, what job am I going to take? Just finished, or a new season in your life, and wondering what my next step is. I call that a wilderness place. And wherever you find yourself this morning in the wilderness, I believe that today's message is exactly for you. And it doesn't have to be your entire life, right? It could just be one thing, one pocket of life, one thing that just nags at you or one thing that just seems to stick to you. 
I want to explore one of my favorite stories in the book of 1 Kings or 1 Kings, in chapter 19, the story of Elijah. And you'll find it in the Old Testament. And if you don't know what the Old Testament is, you might know it as the first half of the Bible. It's very basically the account of the time before Jesus' arrival on earth. And in the book of 1 Kings, it describes this time of a prophet, Elijah. And a prophet is just a messenger of God. And in the part before our story, we find him in a bit of trouble because there's this lady, this woman called Jezebel. Everyone say Jezebel. Jezebel. And she's after him because Elijah had been speaking out against her and another guy called King Ahab. And so she declared in this time that he would be killed and she put out a bounty on his head. And we pick up the story right there in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there was he went into a cave and spent the night. You have to remember that this is no ordinary man. This is the great prophet Elijah. Just before this story, he had called a drought over the entire nation. And then he cancelled the drought by bringing fire down from heaven. This was Elijah, the great prophet, and yet he found himself in a wilderness place. Verse 4 says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. That's it, God. I've had enough. I quit. Game over. Beam me up, Scotty. The end. And isn't it interesting that even the most godly men, even the seemingly most steadfast men, heroes of the faith, still find themselves in a wilderness place like you and I, still find themselves navigating valleys, still find themselves in the storms of life like you and I. I find that encouraging. And I keep repeating this week after week, and I've been hammering the point you could probably quote the scripture of John 16, back to me, of how Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I've been hammering that trouble bit. But let me hammer the overcome. Because I have overcome, you can overcome. Because I have done it, you can do it. Because I have been there, you can go there. Right? But we still find ourselves like Elijah at times. We still find ourselves in the wilderness. And I, I don't know where you are this morning. 
I don't know if you, maybe there's a scale to these things and you wouldn't describe yourself as like Elijah, but you know that you're in the wilderness. Or maybe you would. And maybe you've found yourselves at times wishing that it would end. Maybe you've even tried. Can I tell you this morning that there is no shame or condemnation here? There is no shame or condemnation here. What I know that is here is a living hope. His name is Jesus, and he has a strength beyond your own. A strength beyond your own. And I don't know how long you've been in the wilderness. I don't know how long you've been navigating or searching in that waiting place or navigating that pain or that part of your life. But I do know that in the wilderness is exactly where God meets us. If we look at verse 5, it says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. The angel in this story represents the presence of God. All at once the angel came. God came and touched him and said, Get up and eat bread and water, we read in verse 6. And you know, it kind of strikes me as odd that again to this mighty man of God, the prophet Elijah, the instructions that God gives him aren't super complicated, are they? Twice, God comes to him and says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. And I want to come to you this morning and say it's time to get up again. It's time to get up again. And I love uh, how the way that Jesus came, I mean, God came in this moment with compassion. Because you know that Jesus... He had this same command. It's not time to give up. It's time to get up. And Jesus came in Luke 7 when he encountered a widow and her dead son. And he says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Young man, I tell you, get up. His heart overflowed with compassion. If you feel dry, if you feel barren this morning, if you find yourself wanting in an area of your life, that there's nothing left in the tank. He's in the business of restoring lives. He can restore that broken part of you that you felt like died in the wilderness. He can reignite hope again. All we have to do is get up and not fall asleep or stay where we fell asleep like Elijah did. He comes with compassion for you. If you read the scriptures and see Jesus throughout them, you'll see that he says, he was filled with compassion, that he had compassion over the crowd, that he overcame with compassion. And so it's with all compassion and with all humility and with all kindness that Jesus comes to us, not minimizing what we're going through, not in ignorance and asking you to just slap on a fake smile, but in love that he comes to us and says, get up. It's time to get up. It's not time to give up. And he wants us to get up. Why? 
because he wants us to eat. I love bread. <laughs> Who loves bread? I'm actually, I like the stuff that's all pre-sliced for you, and it's extra white. I call it extra pure. Mum calls it extra processed. Um, but isn't it amazing how it stays for like a week really soft? Whereas this stuff that they say is all natural, it's one day and it's gone stale. But loving bread, it's biblical. <laughs> I'm going to use this as a, as, a, as a thing here. You see, God provides us this same thing, but not this kind of bread and water. God provides us with living bread and living water. And where do we find it? Well, Jesus came in John 6, 35 and said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because we aren't in the Old Testament anymore. Remember that old covenant, the first half of the Bible? We can't get confused about that. Because what was written in those scriptures, not all, but some, were for a different time, a different people, and a different place. And so when we read them, some, but not all, of the promises were renewed or replaced or ended at the time that Jesus arrived. All I'm saying is that when we read the story of Elijah, it points to the never-changing heart of God that would see you in the storm, that would walk towards you, that would be with you in the valley, and that would say, get up to you when you were in the wilderness. But now we have the promise of Emmanuel as well. The promise of Emmanuel, God with us, the Christmas promise, Emmanuel, who said, come to me and you will never go hungry again. Believe in me, and you will never be thirsty. He says, come and believe. Do you know that there is a thirst in your soul that no amount of physical bread or water can fill? And if you're not a Christian here this morning or wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, you might be able to relate to that fact. You might be able to relate to the fact that no matter what you do, it doesn't quite seem to add up to fulfillment that there just seems to be something missing, that you can't quite put your finger on it. Can I humbly suggest to you this morning that what you're searching for is God, the one who wants to be with you? And all you have to do is what Jesus said in this scripture, come and believe. Come and believe. Because you know, Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness. Like Elijah, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And we find the story in Matthew chapter 4. And as the enemy had come to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he responded like this in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we find every word that comes from the mouth of God? It's in here. It's in here. Your Bible, all pointing to Jesus, not just for Sunday, but for every day. It's all about Him, the bread of life. 
the word of God. This is your little blue dot. This is your blue line. This is your GPS. This is your Google Maps. Lee doesn't complain about this one as much. I think she might get in trouble. I am the bread of life, he said. And I don't have a three-point message this morning. The last couple of weeks have been awesome as we've explored these scriptures. But this morning I'm coming with one message, one direction. His name is Jesus. He's all there is, and he's all that you need. Sometimes we add to it, sometimes we subtract it, sometimes we try to explain and investigate everything in here, and that is good to a degree, but not at the expense of forgetting what he's already written, what already happened at Christmas time. The promise, Emmanuel, God with us. I know when I go through the wilderness myself, that was eerie, wasn't it? God with us. No, they didn't get it that time. I know when I go through the wilderness myself, I turn to this particular psalm. I find this particular psalm that you will probably know well as well, Psalm 23. When I'm in the wilderness, that's my blue line. That's my blue dot. And I read this psalm just on Friday at my friend's funeral. And I want to read it today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. You know, at the end of the story of Elijah, he ate and he drank and then he walked on until he found himself at the mountain and he went into the cave. But then he had a moment with God. And you can read about it in the scriptures. It describes how a wind came and tore up the mountain and shattered the rocks, yet God was not in the wind. And then came an earthquake and shook the earth, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then came fire like it had come before for Elijah, but God wasn't in the fire. Until a small whisper a still, small whisper of the voice of God. Why is God whispering? Why is God whispering? I don't know about you, when I find myself in these wilderness moments or storms, I feel like I can't hear God. So why is He whispering? Why isn't He shouting at me? Where are you, God? Why isn't His voice booming down? I've got you. Why is He in the whisper? Why does he choose to whisper in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our waiting, in the middle of our unbelief? Where are you, God? Why are you whispering to me? Why? 
I've asked Chris to go out in the foyer and wait by the trees. And Chris, I want you to say in a way that I can hear you, I am with you. Speak up a little bit. Speak up a little bit. Awesome. Come forward. Stop there with Ron at the big chair, the king's chair. He's up here. You didn't know which one was the king's chair? And go again. Keep coming. With D. And keep coming. Again. Thanks, Chris. You see, the further you are away, the louder you have to shout. Why are you not shouting? Where are you, God, in my wilderness? Why are you in the whisper? He's in the whisper because he is close. He's in the whisper because he is with us. He's in the whisper because he is near. He's in the whisper because he is close. He's close to us in our pain. He's close to us in our waiting. He's close to us in our wilderness place. And I kind of think it's like he's with us always, right? And so I picture him right now next to Al saying, I picture him next to Kimbo saying, I am fighting for you. I picture him sitting next to D saying, you are more than an overcomer. Right? I picture him with Manny, not Manny Pacquiao, the bigger Manny, saying, I will fight for you. I am with you always. And it's kind of like how he entered the world. Did he come into the world with this booming voice? Listen to me. It's me, God, in the flesh. My name's Emmanuel. Or did he come under the cover of night into a manger, seemingly insignificant, with a promise? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As a young girl, I always had the dream of being a mum. I guess for me, my journey for parenthood is quite different from a lot of parents um, and a lot of families. For me personally, it didn't actually begin with the birth of Jack and Madeline. It was actually my marriage to Paul. Um, and that's something that not everyone's aware of, but obviously, um, the history for us has been a journey as well. The kid's birth mum actually passed away from brain cancer. Uh, the first few years of our marriage was actually investing into Jack and Madeline and making sure that they were loved and secured and felt that their family unit was as strong as it was. And they're such beautiful kids and as I say, I love them. I couldn't love them anymore or any differently. I never expected to have any trouble falling pregnant. Um, always been fit and healthy and just always assumed that when we were ready it would happen. Um, but I'd been to the GP, had a couple of tests that all came back all 
normal, no abnormalities, just waited out. Everyone's different, could be a few more months. A few more months went by, still nothing happened. So I went back to a different, uh, the GP sent me on to a specialist who did some more tests and again, couldn't pick up any medical reason as to why um, things weren't looking that way or why things weren't happening. I'd actually said to my doctor, just, just give me a brain MRI. I'm sure there's nothing gonna be wrong, but just give me a brain MRI. I'd love to know just so we can prove that there's absolutely nothing going on in that space. Came off the table and immediately the text go, oh, the doctor wants to speak to you. Now for me, that was immediate alarm bells because I'm normally the tech saying, oh, we've looked at the pictures. We can't tell you anything. The doctor will be in touch when, when they get the results. Um, and what the doctor proceeded to tell me then was I actually had a pituitary tumour, which is a gland in the middle of your brain. And that just absolutely sh shattered me. I had no idea or no expectation and was not, not in any way prepared for that. Um, and those closest to me at the time knew that I didn't cope with that diagnosis very well at all. Um, my fear, even looking back, wasn't about me, wasn't about Paul, it was about Jack and Madeline. Having lost their mum to, to brain cancer, how are we supposed to tell them that I potentially had a brain tumour as well? Speaking to different specialists, I'd gone in already, yep, surgery, whatever we need to do, let's do it. Um, and ironically, he turned around and said, nope, we're not doing surgery, we're not doing chemo, we're not doing anything, I want you to take these tablets. You'll be on these tablets for basically anywhere between three to five years. And I guess it came back to holding on to God's promises of, well, hang on a minute. I knew God wasn't finished with me yet and the dream of a baby wasn't something that God had taken away in any way, point of shame. It was, it will come, but we've got a different journey to get there as well. Seeing so many of my friends and family have babies and having the joy and excitement for there was definitely real and obviously something that I was so excited for them but there was still that little bit was, well, God, when's it gonna be our turn? And it was almost like I had to hand that dream over of having a natural child across to God to say, well, yep, God, let's see what you've got to do. Um, so we went to see a fertility doctor. So starting on my next cycle, we were due to start some different hormonal treatments. And um, but the irony of that was two days after seeing the specialist there, um, we found out we were pregnant. It was just one of those ones of, we had to give that dream across to God for him to hand it straight back to us. Um, a lot of people talk about, oh, Mel, you've had such an awesome pregnancy. You, you're, you're so lucky. And for those closest to me, they'll know it hasn't been easy the whole way through. Um, and I guess one of my biggest prayers through the times of waiting was, God, when I'm pregnant, and not just if I get pregnant, but when I get pregnant, let me enjoy the pregnancy. Um, and I have, I've really loved being pregnant and it's been such a joy and such a blessing because um, it's not just been the dream of the last couple of months, it's been a dream for many, many years. There's a song that we would regularly sing here at church as well. Um, <laughs> that has me in tears almost every time we sing it. And it's, um, take courage, my heart. Um, stay steadfast, my soul. I'm in the waiting. And, and that was a big thing for us over the last few years as it felt like we've been in that waiting zone. Um, and for the, those that 
have had those periods where you're stuck in that waiting, it, it is hard. Um, but as I say, knowing that God's been with us on that journey through the waiting the whole way along. Awesome. Mel had her baby just the other day, and I can see Paul and Jack and Madeline over there. Why don't you give them a hand? What an incredible story of faith, of courage through the waiting. We didn't pick this song, Take Courage, by accident. We want you to experience this moment. And I would ask you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to think about whatever it is in your life. Like I said, it could be your whole life. It could be just one pocket, one thing that you would describe just sticking to you. Maybe you just feel lost and you don't know what's next. Would you hold that right now and declare these words in faith over that situation? Maybe you feel like you're not in the wilderness right now and you're kicking goals, the baby has arrived. Why don't you stand in the gap for someone else and worship with all passion and love and faith that a church together with faith in their heart can make a difference in our world. Would you get up again this morning and worship with me? Let's do it. Why don't we lift our hands right now? the God of heaven who is with us, who sees us, who would walk together with us in the storm and in the valley and in the wilderness. The Lord, Jesus, Emmanuel, come to me and you'll never go hungry. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty again. Let's worship.